0: Welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. I'm Kat Troyer.
1: And I'm Liz Bronson. Hey, Liz.
0: Hey, Kat. So, tonight, Liz and I are so excited to welcome Dr. David Camp to Real Job Talk. David is the founder of The Dialogue Company and has written six books and spoken worldwide, working to help teams come together and build dialogue. David is also an expert in diversity, inclusion, and cross-cultural dialogue, and he uses his expertise and humor to facilitate awakening conversations in a comfortable way. He's informally referred to as the White People Whisperer. In 2016, David launched the White Ally Toolkit to help people actively engage in anti-racism discussions. Welcome, David.
2: Great to be here.
0: So please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today.
2: Grew up in Detroit. And I'm old enough to remember when getting a the new black mayor was a big deal. And I remember all the tumult and adults arguing about that. And uh, I had a teacher, a fourth grade, main, Mr. Mr. Nathan Fine, who always used to tell us, you know, people are more alike than they are different. And I think what he was trying to do was to have us not replicate the tumult and arguments that were happening among adults. And so I've always been curious about how the people talk to each other how much does race matter? How can people resolve differences? And I think that my interest in that got started at an early age and then it's maintained. So after I finished my PhD, I did a lot of dialogue work as a graduate student. I went to work for the White House for the President's Initiative on Race and it was crazy. They, they A big project about racial dialogue, they hired one dialogue specialist. <laughs> so, makes sense. So, wow. so, you know, there's a White House for you. I have a lot of positions where I had to think about dialogue at scale. How do people, how do you set up a dialogue a principle and regime so that even when you're not there, it's going to work. You have to think Mm -hmm. through what is dialogue and how do you set up questions and how you set up a flow. So that's some of the background that I, that was useful when I looked at a a previous election and realized that a whole lot of white folks don't know how to talk to each other about racial issues. Mm -hmm. So that's why I developed the white ally toolkit. And, um, and my dialogue company work has folded that in. I've been a diversity trainer for a long time and, uh, So that's, that's an initiative of, of that. And, and, you know, I do all the work too, but that's some of the background. I think that your audience might want to know.
1: That's wonderful. And I want to ask you like, so how has it changed in the last, I would say four years or so, how, how have things changed in terms of where you've seen the need for your skills and your own toolkit that you bring to the world?
2: Sure, so I want to talk about the last four years but' also talk about the last twenty because one mm-hmm. difference between when I worked for the White House in one thousand nine hundred and ninety eight and now is that the whole notion of the people of color having doing unpaid labor to talk to white people about racism like mm-hmm. that that didn 't exist back then, but now it does exist so yep. so that 's important because a fair amount of Racial conversation needs to happen to reckon with this old problem. But you now have a whole bunch of black people who are people of color who are like, I'm not doing that work for the white people. Let them Google it, right? So yep. What, yep. That mean, what that means is that the white people who understand racism is, is a factor. And again, white, black, black people are split, white people are split in about half on that. Like 55% of white people think that racism against white people is, oh, sorry, racism against white people is just as important as racism against mm-hmm. people of color. And 45% of people don't believe that. So the real divide is on that question, and so the, yeah. so the goal of the project is to try to equip the forty-five percent to talk to the fifty-five percent. Mm-hmm. So that my goal for the project is, over the course of the next five years, till so twenty twenty-five, we switch flip those numbers to 55, 45 mm-hmm. the other way. Well, that means that a whole bunch of white folks need some skills. They need some, needs, some, work need some to encouragement. Do. Like they, they need they need some encouragement. A lot of a lot of times, what people the in the anti racism movement do is to give aspiring white allies a lot of snark i like a lot of snark and skepticism yeah. and I, what took you so long like that whole like that that's not the way to build a movement sure. so people need encouragement but they also need actual skill and so what i try to do is to both encourage empower and equip people to have those conversations whether it's at in their church in their family at work etc oh but so in the last four years just to be clear Mm-hmm. what's great is the growth of the notion of the white ally movement of the ally movement that we, we there's a recognition that you don't solve systems of oppression with just the people in them it's on mm-hmm. other people to do that it's on men to be allies to women it's on straights to be allies to gays and mm-hmm. it's on white people to be allies to people of color so that growth has happened a lot and that's a good thing
0: mm-hmm. that is a good thing we want to talk about diversity in the workplace but before we go there david I'd love for you to talk a little bit. I I listened to another podcast that you were on recently, The Awarepreneurs, and you explained a couple of your methods, the race and the reach method. Sure. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that before we dive into the...
2: Sure, sure. I'm happy to. After being in the field of dialogue for a long time and also looking at some research about neuroscience and the way the brain works, I I realize there are two principles that guide good conversation about difficult issues. So one is that you want to move a conversation from quote unquote, facts and beliefs to experiences. And second, you want to, the ABC rule, agree before challenging. So you want, you're trying to Mm. establish common ground with people before you try to invite them to new thinking. So what does all that add up to? That adds up to a four-step process, which we're talking about racial issues, I call it the race method. Mm -hmm. If it's not racial issues, I call it the reach method. It's the same method. So basically I'll, I'll say, let's go with the race method. Uh, reflect. You got to calm down. (laughs) You got to calm down and get centered, do what you got to do, whatever you got to (laughs) do to, uh, to get your own thing together. Right. Yeah. Uh, And, and then think in advance of if you can of stories you want to tell, because it's going to be a storytelling approach. The A is for ask, ask questions. A a lot of times when people, somebody says something you don't like, what people want to do is attack them and tell Mm -hmm. them how they're wrong. And what you need to do is instead ask questions and what kind of questions you want to ask, is you want to ask them for the experience beneath their point of view, not just their mm-hmm. belief. That what is the experience that you've had that drives your point of view?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the reason for that is because stories are more connecting than beliefs. Mm-hmm. So you fire up your own mirror neurons in your brain when they tell you a story. So they tell you a story what they believe in. You got you to listen to it, right? You gotta, mm-hmm. It's going to be something you don't like. They're gonna, it's explaining a conclusion you don't like. So you need to be in your empathetic stance to do that. Okay. Reflect. Ask. Connect. Then you got to find something that you can agree with in their mm-hmm. position. Maybe not the core of their position, but you know, it's kind of like um, I sometimes have trail mix, and I find that I push past the seeds and the fruit, and I go for the chocolate. So, you, what you got to do is to like push all of this out the way and find the chocolate. Find a thing you can agree with, and then tell a story about that. So, if mm-hmm. somebody says you don't think they don't think that police. Bother people unnecessarily. There's no racism. Every every you know, if you just act right, you'll be treated fine. You know, so I believe that. But you do believe that there are good cops out there. So Mm -hmm. you tell. I think there are good cops out there. You agree, and then you connect by telling a story about your good your good cop story. They'll be nodding with you because you're agreeing with them, and you do all that before you try to e expand their view by telling them another story that Mm -hmm. illustrates how you think that racism is a real. Factor And the best way of doing that, especially outside the workplace is here in the workplace, is to talk okay. about your, a moment where you had a bias, because that's the greatest evidence that bias is real by talking mm-hmm. about how it's real within you. It's, it's much stronger mm-hmm. than some statistic. So I call it the race method. We're talking about race. I call it the reach method. We're talking about other issues that re- reflect, inquire, British spelling, agree, confess, and harmonize. It's a, but it's the same method. Okay.
1: And I love that
0: yeah I think it's a great process for issues that go beyond race. Mm-hmm. again, it goes back to your fourth grade teacher, right David People are more alike than they are different, and that's kind of been my mantra of the last four years like let's you know let me try to find the common ground here, even with these people that people that have been in my life for almost my whole life that I just were on such opposite ends of the spectrum. but like you know people I've known since kindergarten, I don't want to shut those people out of my life even though. Mm-hmm. It's becoming harder and harder to find that common ground. And,
2: you but know, you have to try to do it. You have to try to do it. I mean, to try, uh,
0: yeah, because, of, because the relationships are important. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So, so part of what needs to happen is people need to call upon deep wellsprings of compassion. Like, yeah. especially, you know people, right? So you, it should be easy. It should be relatively easy for you yeah. to think of positive experiences you've had with people or mm-hmm. aspirations of theirs you agree with, like, to, like, fill your heart up. With that yes. compassion, yes. because you're not trying to slam them, you're trying to invite them
0: mm-hmm. to new
2: thinking. But a lot of that's <laughs> hard for a lot of folks because people, people somehow feel sometimes feel like if 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 I'm gonna be against some system of oppression, somebody is, is a, clearly a part of that or saying noises like that, I need to be as outraged as I would be as if I was in that group. There, there's something nice in that. but i need you to be effective not to be Mm -hmm. like outraged by proxy i want you to be effective right and so that means staying calm being empathetic Mm -hmm. and doing a process that's likely to invite the person to a new view as uh, another way of thinking about it is people don't like being corrected but they don't mind learning so if you're trying to persuade Mm -hmm. somebody your key is to turn it into away from something where you're correcting them to something where you're adding to their belief, which is th- th- that's what the race method tries to do, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you, I'm agreeing with you before I try to challenge or invite you to new thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. And I like when you say that I just read an article about, or I just learned this myself, or I was awoken to this or led on to this so that. It's not like I'm better than you because I'm all knowing of all things. It's like I didn't know this before, but now I do. Can you that's, learn that's with a, me? That's, a with the, that's the
2: problem with like, yeah. the that's problem with wokey woke people. Yeah. Part of the part of the reason why we're so divided is that the people people on the left are just way too woke yep. and and condescending too want too, too condescending mm-hmm. to other people, and so and and you know the research has shown that battling left and right like. In this election we just had, the people on the left don't like Mr. Trump. The people on the right don't like the people who they don't like people on the left, right? Because right. and why? Some of that is because there's propaganda machines, but some of that is because of the way that the people on the left actually treat people on the right, like right. people in these private conversations that you were just talking about, right? So mm-hmm. part of what is important to do, and the reason why I wrote my my latest book is called "Compassion Transforms Contempt," is because I'm I'm you know trying to say to people if we're going to move this country forward. And to not further the divisions that the Russians have tried to foster, let's remember yep. that, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That we have to start treating each other with more compassion. Yes. Doing more persuasive anyway. I mean, that's what the, that's the iron. Not only is not only can we make Thanksgiving great again, but you can also be more you can also be more persuasive if you yes. actually like use compassion-based methods.
0: Well, right. compassion is the key to any kind of change, like even mm-hmm. personal change. Like, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't help us to make personal changes if we're saying, "I hate this about myself." Right? It just—it's it right. like towards
2: you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Go, going away from something that you hate. Is not as effective as going towards something that you love, sure you, right? you know, that you can, that you can find a way with it. You can align with, you know, when I heard you say that, it just kind of opened up my heart. And it's like, that is the essence of the work that you're doing is to help to expand that compassion.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. And yes, that's true. And, and of course, not only is it a vital technique, like a lot of people, they're, they're doing this because they want to expand the compassion in the world. Well, then do it shows them, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It starts with us. That's like, you know, world peace. Right. Starts right. with us, right?
1: right? Hate comes from both sides, and if we both sides hate each other, they'll never find that common ground, and that's no, where no. we're. Got, and you
2: got you got to want to, you got to want to find it. Like a lot of times, mm-hmm. people they are so agitated they don't want to find a common ground, right? And and so you you got to make the shift that if I want to be effective, I need to. No, that finding the common ground is a good thing not a bad thing i gotta mm-hmm. I, I gotta decide to do it you, there's still things to do like the, the method i described mm-hmm. is one of those things that's simple but not easy yes but but which is why i teach courses on it why i have written books about it and all that because people need to learn it and then practice it and practice it on people they don't disagree with as much and then mm-hmm. work up to people who are who get them going emotionally but they have mm-hmm. to they need to like the reflect stuff. They gotta calm down that sometimes yeah. you gotta walk away from a conversation a little bit. Like you realize, oh, this is about to be a, this is about be an argument. You say, excuse me, I'm gonna go to the bathroom, I'm talk to you about yes. this and I get back, right? And then you go, you practice your relaxation methods. that you say yes. you there you go? You practice that <laughs> method, uh, and then you're okay. Now, now I'm ready to engage this, but you, you gotta want to.
1: I- Could not agree more. So our podcast is about all things workplace. And we'd be remiss to not go talk about this ongoing conversation around race. And I'll speak for myself saying 2020 has been a year. But a year where my eyes have been open to learn more about cultural realities that Black people face, especially. Mm -hmm. And tell us what you've seen in the corporate workplace regarding race in the last few years.
2: Well, what really has taken off, and especially especially this year, is a whole bunch of people, after you watch George Floyd just <laughs> got get murdered right in the street in front of us, in front of us all, and as mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay says, the unusual part is that we're looking both at his face and the face of his murder at the same time. You never <laughs> get to see that, right? So, you can, so, so I think it, it sparked something important, and it, it woke up a whole bunch of people to the reality that, like, all these people of color have been complaining all these years about police abuse and about racism. Like that's, that's real because now I can finally see it. Right. Yeah. So I think, so I've noticed that what happens what's happening is a whole bunch of companies now, in addition to wanting to recognize that there's unconscious bias that we all have, hashtag, we all have the virus. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but with some are more asymptomatic than others. There's a recognition that not only are we are, are limiting our talent pool, but also that part of what we have to do to to make everybody most productive is to like create a good atmosphere within our companies and we got people who are in severe pain because they've been repeatedly traumatized by seeing people just like them killed george floyd most egregiously but we could go down the list of those things so Mm -hmm. so part of what's happened is that people want to be better allies at work and they realize that that's an important thing to work on and so, I mean, to me, that's the, 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 the first shift is on around unconscious bias and mm-hmm. the recognition of the way that, that the invisible drag that plays on team functioning because it eliminates, it accommodates, eliminates talent pool and yeah. who's, who's there in the first place. And it also like squashes creativity because, you know, you get that quote unquote microaggressions. I don't like to call it that t- term because I think it doesn't include the inadvertent aspect of it. I'm still trying to brand inadvertent dignity violations but
0: it's a tough one. one, Exactly. (laughs)
2: So anyway, it's called microaggressions. The point is people, people people recognize that microaggressions inhibit people's sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and that we need to work on that. And they also, but, but they also need to realize that the microaggressions are a reflection of unconscious bias. So, so, Mm -hmm. so part of what I think is the positive shift is a recognition of how pervasive unconscious bias is and how it undermines Team efficiency. So that's mm-hmm. a that's a. I think that's the big move forward. The second one is the whole allyship business, mm-hmm. which is a, it's you know it's, it's great that there's a recognition that um, we don't. We, if we're going to be our full selves at work, which is necessary for in order for us to be our best selves and be most productive employees, mm-hmm. then what happens outside of work matters, right? So yes. we need to support people in a reasonable way so that they feel they can be themselves. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'll just flat out ask, like, if someone sees something at work that they're like, ooh, I do not like, I saw this microaggression, or I witnessed this person treating this person poorly in a meeting, or or unconscious bias came out in that meeting, and mm-hmm. that person has no idea that they just offended someone, which we see all the time. Mm-hmm. What's your approach? And I, I, I'm going to ask it in a twofold way. What's your approach if it's a peer, and what's it, your approach if it's someone in leadership?
2: Okay. Let's do it with the peer first. Okay. So I teach about this, and there's a variety of things you can do. You can ask questions. You know, the, the asking questions can be good, right? But, mm-hmm. but if we think about what the task is, the task is, how do you, as a bystander, how do you do something to support the person who the microaggression was directed at? That's an important thing to do yeah. to mitigate the harm. But the other one is, how do you educate the person who did it, who doesn't know they did something that was a problem? Right. So that might not be one thing. You might have to do two different things. But it's mm-hmm. important as a bystander to have both of those goals in mind. That's what I try to teach when I teach about uh, microaggressions.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a variety of things you can do. You can you can ask questions. You can reframe comments, etc. But I think that the, the 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 utility strategy that's most effective. You can say to either person,
1: mm-hmm. when
2: that was said, I felt weird, mm-hmm. right? Because what you don't want to do, because here's what that does, right? If you say that to the person that was targeted at. It doesn't it doesn't presume they should feel uncomfortable right. right so for example the microaggression was something like your English is perfect right this person might be <laughs> might be from this country yes. and there's no reason to think that it wouldn't be perfect right. or they might actually be they might have been a long-term immigrant right mm-hmm. but it could be that especially if they're a long-term immigrant for example they might not be offended they might be they might not be happy they might be tired of hearing that but they might not be offended right so okay. but so when that was said, I felt weird. Doesn't make any presumptions about how they should feel or what they should do, but you're mm-hmm. inviting them to talk about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So That yeah. takes care of that. But notice what happened. The, the same statement to the aggressor opens up conversation a different way. Right. When you said that, I felt weird. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say anything about, th- about them having bad intent or them being a bad person. It just is like, it just says that this happened and I had a reaction to it mm-hmm. and it invites a conversation about why that was. And then you can say, well, um, I don't know how Alex felt when you said it, mm-hmm. but I know that when you said that I felt kind of like, well, why is he saying that when right. um, Alex is a, has no reason to <laughs> uh, sound like anything else or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the all purpose tool on microaggressions is when that happened, I felt weird. And I think it, it has, it cuts either direction. Now, you asked about what do you, what do you do with
0: leaders,
2: supervisors? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. or leaders. I think
2: it still works. Mm-hmm. I think it ultimately because it doesn't say anything about them. And now you, you got to come behind that with something, right? So you want to lay on the. I'm, I bet you didn't intend that, and I sensed you didn't intend that. You got to okay. lean on that because you don't want to be <laughs> you don't have them perceive you as saying so, something about their intention because. Right. The, the reason I call them unintended dignity violations is because it's unintentional right, mm-hmm. right. But then it's also it would be important to say i'm not sure how the other person felt mm-hmm. right and because you actually are not sure right mm-hmm. but you can say but I think I might have felt x x way mm-hmm. so I mean you are coaching them and th- th- there's no question yeah. if you decide, if you decide to do that, you are coaching them and it's it's you know they might be sound sensitive and they're above you in the chain, so you want to be careful. But I'm saying so this is I'm I'm trying to give extra ways to be gentle about it, but you but ultimately you are coaching them. You are yeah. saying that might be something you might want to rethink because it might have impacts that you're not aware of. And if they're even halfway decent boss, they don't want to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I would say. I think I think it still works as the I'm not saying that this is the thing to do in all cases, but I think that there's there's very few cases in which that does it that it's not safe.
1: Yeah. That phrase can go a long way. And mm-hmm. I think that as HR, ish people we should put that burden on ourselves even more to say something when you see something say something because our job is the peopley stuff and so if I say I felt weird it has almost doesn't I wouldn't say it has more weight than an engineer or something but your people person felt weird that should raise your awareness
2: right Uh, and notice it's weird and not offended It's not offended. Mm -hmm. It's not even uncomfortable. You Mm -hmm. might, you might be uncomfortable. That might be the the, the stating of the truth. Weird sounds better than uncomfortable,
0: uncomfortable. right? Right.
2: Because what it does is it it owns the ambiguity of it. Mm -hmm. That's an important thing for either direction, including the direction up that you mentioned.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that as you, the way you said it, it also takes that presumption of intention out so mm-hmm. that i know you didn't make you didn't want to make someone feel weird right and i won't define what my weird was in that moment but you didn't mean to right but fyi it did and that's right.
2: exactly is. exactly exactly
1: so at least it starts the
0: conversation uh, so that's great well, it invites a conversation yeah right
2: yeah. it invites a conversation i mean if you say anybody, I feel weird, the natural inclination is say, Well, why do you feel weird? I mean, I'm just saying so it's a it's inherently inviting. What you're trying to avoid is a situation in which you are dragging the person into a conversation in which they're also going to be criticized. <laughs> but you, right. You'd rather them at least make a affirmative step into the conversation by trying to say something that is on some level inviting or at least right. strikes their curiosity and doesn't get them on the defensive from the very beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. So these days, you can't read an HR or recruiting article or even attend a conference without diversity being a core topic. What are some of the best practices you've seen around diversity hiring, David?
2: Well, One of the things that a lot of companies are doing at that first cut where you're looking at resumes, they like strip names off of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is names are still markers for our ethnicity mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So that's one factor. Now. I suggest to people, I mean, that's that's great. But if you're going to do that, it's useful to kind of like uh, also look at other things that might be markers. The name might be Alex Miller, but if he was in the Black Student Association, as well, you know, you can make some guesses about that, right? So one, one important thing to do is to go a little further past the name and look at are there things on here that are going to identify the person, right? That's an important uh, practice. Another important thing to do I mean, this is, some, of this is, some of this is some standard HR stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So you try to make sure that your interview protocol is standard, right? Because a lot of times the way that bias comes out is that, you know, people ask a different set of questions to people that they feel more comfortable with and that people look like them, et cetera. So that's, that's a thing I think is a good uh, diversity practice. I think that uh, one of the things that we find in social science, like it's, it's a really weird thing, bringing up the possibility of bias tends to diminish it. So when you're in that final meeting and you're trying to talk about like, okay, which of these people are gonna choose? I think that it's useful to raise the issue of, I'm going to try, you know, for one person, one person could do this, or it can be part of the standard protocol. I'm going to try to get to remove my own bias that might be possible in the situation and maybe even to name it. Like the, this person, this person went to my school, this person went to, went to school in my same conference, and that person is that. I, 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 am, I want to say to all the rest of y'all, I'm going to try to eliminate that. And what that does, the research shows that the, the mentioning of bias tends to diminish it because people are then consciously trying to work against it. And I think that that's, a, I think that's an important thing to do. That's an important thing to do. So it is less likely to affect the process.
1: Mm. And I see a lot, I mean, in the companies that I work with, they're wanting, you know, where's our diverse cat? We need more of diversity, 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 like they want it. So it's like they, they're wanting to lean in and sometimes they do better than others. And I kind of work with them. I said, you know, if you find a candidate, that's a great culture fit for our company and has good skills. We should hire them to build a bigger group of diverse people at the company because then we will attract more diverse people, et cetera, et cetera.
2: That's critical. That's critical. So so you asked about hiring, but then there's also the the whole the management of the atmosphere, right? Because what you don't want to be is the company that like keeps hiring diverse candidates and can't keep them, right? Mm -hmm. So part of what you have to think about is, you know, what's the degree to which you have things like employee resource groups,
0: mm-hmm. which
2: will allow people to, to know that there are other people who have a similar background, sure. face similar challenges, etc. One of the things that's important to be careful about though, so there's that, but then there's the mentoring issue. Mm-hmm. Part of what I think is the, the next level of the work around allyship is to train people to be ally, to be mentor allies outside their own group. Because what yes. we, we don't want to do is to put the burden of the additional burden of mentorship on the few mm-hmm. women or people of color who get to mm-hmm. rise, who get to rise up. Because now, because they're still trying to compete to get to the top, right. so we're not trying to put that extra burden on them to make that an obligation. So I think that the next level of work on the pipeline
0: mm-hmm.
2: is to train folks from, you know, if, if we look at it, the classic is white males, right? But it's not only them, mm-hmm. but to. Find the ones who are interested in being allies, mm-hmm. and then putting them through put, to bring them through a process where they can become effective ally mentors. Right. That's yes. a, so th- that's what I think is, is an important next level of work. I don't think that that many companies are doing that, but I know mm-hmm. that that's going to be important because if we are going to have a good pipeline, you can't be, you know, you can't have all the people, the women, and the people of color are the only people who are executives. I got to pull up everybody else because they're still trying to compete.
1: Right. And so it's really it's not just. And we say this all the time. It's not just about hiring a diverse mm-hmm. candidate pool or a diverse team. Yes, we want our teams to be diverse, so we have to keep them and it's about retention and So tell us a little bit about what you've seen around retention of when diverse people come into your company how do you retain- how do you tell clients to retain them uh and It sounds like mentorship is key and not just like you know women can- don't have to mentor women it's just Having allies, as you said, within the company is one way.
2: One thing is the mentorship piece that we just discussed. One yeah. of the things is the employee research group thing that we yep. just discussed. And mm-hmm. on those, it is really important that the employee research groups know that top level management thinks they're important. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a vital thing. Because otherwise, it can feel both to them and people not in those groups, that this is some sort of a, uh, it's, it's meaningless. Yeah, it's sort of a special interest that's meaningless and it's not really in the company's interest to do that. So so the high level C-suite value, uh, validation of those efforts is important. I think one of the most important factors is this unconscious bias training piece and being universal and it being done in a way that is high quality. What does that mean? Uh-huh. What's vital? Like I said it before, we all have the virus. I think what's vital in those trainings is that people walk away with the sense that everybody is subject to biased thinking. And and, and the idea is that that becomes a common part of the culture. Like we're, we don't talk about all the time, but Mm -hmm. we talk about it. If I, if I raise the issue, it's not like I'm calling somebody a racist. I'm raising it because I know I'm subject to that too. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, my sense is that from people I've talked to, People of color feel a lot more comfortable or, or people who are uh, non-mainstream, whatever that means, feel uh, much more comfortable in a setting in which they, there's an agreement that we're all subject to this kind of bias as opposed mm-hmm. to we're not, we're not going to talk about it. Oh, that's only mm-hmm. the really bad people. So mm-hmm. I think that from an atm- from atmosphere standpoint, that's very important because then we can raise the question of like, what just happened there? Was might might the bias that we all have might have reared its ugly head there? Or how's our? It becomes part of the inclusion conversation. Uh You know, we can look at the statistics around morale, which so employee surveys is another thing important to do, Uh and to cut those surveys by group. What I find is a lot of companies Uh like they do they they do. Employee morale. They do employee surveys, but they, they they don't cut them by they don't cut them by other uh, people. How the, the women feel different than men? The people of color feel different than white people. The, the 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 gay people feel different. than straight people like they don't like it, it's. we're having we're having these problems in this type of in X Y or Z way. But we didn't cut it by that right. <laughs> so a, a, another practice to try to make sure that we're creating a workplace that works for everybody is to do those morale surveys and make sure you cut them, you do the cross tabs by different groups. And, you know, you might find out information you don't want to hear, but, if, but ultimately that's, that's easier, that's better in the, short, in the long run right. than having the people leave. And then you have mm-hmm. a revolving door of those people. You're wasting your training money, and you're also getting a bad reputation in the field.
0: Right.
2: So, so, so I guess I'm just to say that's, that is also an additional practice, both of those things I mentioned, the unconscious bias being a pervasive thing as part of the corporate culture, mm-hmm. as well as the regular execution of employee surveys with a good analytical procedure on them. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and I love what you say about having bias be part of the conversation, because I could say, like, it might be my bias as New Englander, but I don't really think it's cold out today. And while that is my bias, because I grew mm-hmm. up in New England, and so I don't think it gets that cold here in Texas. But for Texans, they do. So if you use the word bias as not a terrible word, mm-hmm. And you use it as just a, we all bring this to the table and here are mine. So, you know, mine and I know yours. And so we can get to know each other better Then the conversation can move forward with the awareness on the table.
2: I have often said in trainings that while it's understandable that we did it, one of the errors in the civil rights movement is that we turned being racially biased you turn it into a social faux pas on the order of a capital crime. And mm-hmm. we need to make it on the order of like a third degree misdemeanor. Because <laughs> because as a capital crime, we can't talk about it. Nobody wants to admit that they they right. do it. But when you, when you ask, when you when you when I do unconscious bias trainings, back in the days when we had real-world interaction, I could be with people <laughs> with people. <laughs> um, I often use uh, audience polling. Mm-hmm. And so when you give people some information about unconscious bias, and then you call the question of Like and it's anonymous. How many of y'all have ever had biased thoughts that you were not proud of? Like it's usually like ninety eight percent or ninety nine percent. Everybody knows they do it, but they don't. We don't talk about it, right? And that's because we've made being biased a capital crime, and we need to, we need to change that. And one way Mm -hmm. to change that individually, we need to start talking about our own bias Mm -hmm. more freely. From a corporate leadership standpoint, we need to manage our corporate culture to admit that well, of course we all we all have these blind spots. I think I think there's a great thing by um, the Price Waterhouse has a, a I think they have a, a little video called the blind spot. But I mean mm-hmm. there's, a, there's not you get more material about this. I think uh, p PNG PNG private government has a thing a let's talk about bias hashtag let's talk about bias. I'm just saying that I think that the next level of this work is more companies saying we need to just make it this this is a part of our culture. The culture, and we're going to pursue excellence by consciously dealing with it. Having a culture that we're going to consciously encourage people to deal with this because it's we can't avoid it anyway. If you have a brain, you have a bias.
0: Mm. So, how would you advise a manager or a leader to make sure that diverse candidates feel valued and not like they're the token person on the team, so that they're they're there for more than a diverse perspective or a photo op? You know, that's. Uh,
2: well, first of all, it's got to be true, right? Right, right. So, so that's, a, that's a critical thing on that, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's funny that you asked that question because just recently I was doing a coaching session with an executive. The coaching was all about them as being good on diversity issues. And, and ultimately, let me just say this. I also think that part of what we have to rec- reckon with is for executives to get the kind of training and support in diverse issues of diversity, inclusion, equity, they might not get it in the trainings because what they say in the trainings is, is too is too risky for them to talk to be honest about how they feel. Mm-hmm. So part of I think the next level of the work is kind of like people getting private coaching where they can be more honest about their biases, their concerns, their struggles, et cetera. I was talking to an executive and he was talking about like a, a recent hiring decision. And he had chosen, like he's putting other team together, and uh, one of the candidates was a uh, a person of color, and he chose that person. And he said, "She from her, her resume, she wasn't a superstar, but she was a star." And she uses he two superstars, but he didn't want to. She didn't want to have an all-white team. So, so he he was wondering whether he should have done that, how he felt about that. And I said, "What you need to do, to, and this goes back to your question, it's probably not good for him to tell." this person, uh, one of the motivations for hiring her, but it is probably good for him to say what he sees in her. Like he, like he, Mm -hmm. he, he believed that this woman could be a superstar, but for various reasons she had not. So Mm -hmm. what I encouraged him to do was to, you know, it's the old, you know, if we can say R. Kelly, I believe you can fly. Right. He needs to, he needs to lean in to his, and and let her know his sense of her potential Mm -hmm. because so that, so she can, it would not be racialized. It's like, I believe in you. I believe you can step up and you can do this role well and really be a superstar. So part of what, what I'm saying is, is that it's people might fear that they are chosen for these kind of reasons. Mm-hmm. So one thing to do is to spend a little extra energy trying to convey your belief in their quality mm-hmm. so that they get an extra level of support and given all the obstacles that they will face and microaggressions, all the other mm-hmm. problems, it, you know, you don't have to feel bad about doing that because it's probably good that they do that. You probably, you'll get more out of them if you do that. Okay. So that's one, that's an important, that's important practice. A second. So that's from a welcoming standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier how employee resource group thing, I think that's important. Now, I think it is also useful these days, if that doesn't exist in a company, is for a, a supervisor to let the person know that they approve of that kind of extra networking, mm-hmm. right? Because part of what, what is a struggle for uh, people, n- non traditional people in the corporate world, especially people of color, is like if, they're, if, if the company doesn't have an employee resource group, then how, they wonder how it's going to be perceived if I'm doing all this extra networking. So it's what's important to do. is It's almost like you're supporting the person in developing their own re, uh, resource group Without, if you if you if you haven't made the corporate decision to have that yet, that's mm-hmm. important to do that, so they they don't feel like they got to hide that, etc. So that's mm-hmm. so so those are some those are important ways to make somebody to make people feel welcome.
0: I think that's just smart leadership to tell your people the potential that you see in them too. I mean, just mm-hmm. from a general perspective as well. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, yes, but 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 like that's true, and uh, so that uh, so you can use that with anybody. But I, I'm specifically, uh, but I'm mm-hmm. saying it people call it because of the whole gotcha. diversity question. Yeah. And I'm also saying the other thing, cause I, cause I know that, you know, you can, you can wonder like whether or not people appreciate you like doing this extra networking. And that's why I'm saying that's a special, there's a special gotcha. thing I think, that coming from the boss. Mm-hmm. That it's, you know, I understand you need to do that. There's things I don't, there's things I don't understand about navigating the corporate world. And, you know, I've seen situations in which an executive on purpose connects somebody To another person uh, higher up than them in a different division, and again, Mm -hmm. you 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 don't want to be you don't go too far that because then you're putting a burden on that other person. But I'm just saying, I've seen corporate managers do that, Mm -hmm. and it winds up being supportive because because it's it's from a place of empathy and they get that people get that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know the manager you were working with, they hired this woman because of a number of different factors. But if there was a experience gap mm-hmm. that can be filled, it's almost up to the manager because the manager made that decision to hire the experience gap to get all of the wealth that comes with the mm-hmm. diverse team. So right. it's up to the manager to make sure that that gap is filled.
2: Right. And we know, we know that diverse teams, if the versus handle well, or mm-hmm. usually do better. Like we know that's true mm-hmm. all the way from analyses of 40, 4,500 companies that look at, look at the C-suite all the way down to you know uh, diverse teams, uh, teams mm-hmm. way less down the chain, further down the chain. We know that that's true. So yeah, I think that it is important that people consciously say, what can I do? Now, also, I think that one important thing to do is to ask people mm-hmm. what they need right? Yeah. Generally, right? Mm-hmm. So to admit your ignorance, admit both your, your your desire to be supportive and your ignorance about what that should look like. And I think that, that that is an important thing to do. And this is, you can do that at the level of the executive coming to the employee research group, resource group meeting, mm-hmm. but it also has a, at the one-on-one level too. So I think that, that that sincere inquiry about how can I be supportive when you navigate this environment, I think that that like ultimately that's really important to make people feel like this is a good place for me. Mm
1: -hmm. And what do you think about companies like creating roles for diverse candidates? Because they're not a fit for this, but they want them at the company and they want their overall experience and they, and they have relevant enough experience that they're not, you know, go staple that paper because I don't really have something for you, but I want your, I want you here. But assuming they have, a skill set that could be put to use, but there isn't a perfect role. What do you think about, you know, trying to build the diversity at the company through creation of roles?
2: Sometimes you have to do that. I mean, I I think that part of, part of what we know is that when we limit the talent pool, we limit the total productivity, right? When baseball got better, when there was no more Negro leagues, and, and the 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 talent pool expanded, baseball got better sure. right so um so, in those kind of marginal situations in which like there's not an exact fit, but you have a strong feeling that somebody's going to add to the team and still have a, a, a and this this experience is going to be positive for their resume i think that mm-hmm. I think that creating that position is i think that's a good thing because ultimately, if that person really feels welcome and that their contribution is welcome and it's probably going to be a different contribution than other people then it makes the team do better, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. let's remember, our society is diversifying. Yes. You know, our, so it's it's important that the people who are creating products or, or creating content or products or marketing it or doing all the things that people do, it's important that we have a reasonable reflection of the society that we are and are becoming. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. think, that that's, I think that that's a good thing. Yeah,
0: diverse perspectives only make things better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of your main messages, David, is around finding common ground versus disagreement. And at this point in our country, this feels so relevant and important. What do you think about healing the nation and bringing us together when, when ideologies feel so separate?
2: Well, I think it's, a, it's an important task for us all to do. Part of what I hope doesn't happen is that people look at, like, this is the president's job. I mean, the president the president-elect came in saying he wants us to heal the soul of the nation, uh-huh. and who knows what he'll do. I hope, you know, he, maybe he'll do something that's, that's about this polarization problem. We certainly need that. Uh-huh. But he, whether he does that or not, we should take it seriously upon ourselves to try to heal these divisions. I mean, a lot of folks, but let's be honest, it, it doesn't cut racially the same way, have people on the other side of this divide, where we're next to split in half, um, certainly politically, and mm-hmm. you know, we had, we just had an election where people were dancing in the street <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> when was the last time y'all saw that, right? So clearly, Never. We, we feel very strongly in different directions. So we need to, people on both sides need to say, okay, people in my neighborhood, there's people in my family, people in my church. Like, I need to stop avoiding talking to those people because I can't handle talking to them. That is just not... That's not going to be happening. we got to find ways to do that. So, so my point is that no matter what the president-elect does, we should all take it upon ourselves to reach out to people who voted differently. And we can start, I mean, look, look, what, we can, look what we can start talking about. We can start talking about the fact that this election is historic. It, it has never been the case that as many people, this percentage of the voting public voted. Now, the, the, the last time the, the, the registered population versus the, red, the eligible population voted was like this was 1900, but women couldn't vote. Right? Nice. So, right. <laughs> women couldn't vote and black people, first they couldn't vote. So I'm just saying that this 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 is an unprecedented thing that we've just done. And according to the Department of Homeland Security, the things went it went off without a hitch. We can all be grateful for that. It yeah. looks like the, 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 whatever happened that we don't know about, that the Homeland Security thwarted any kind of attacks from the Russians, we can all be grateful for about sure. that. So yes. of, even if we're on opposite sides, politically, we can be, there's a certain amount of uh, collective gratitude we should be able to express that might be the beginning of talking about uh, what we're dealing with. And, and given that, I think, I think the polling shows that like 80% of Americans say that polarization is a big problem, we can talk about that. Now, I would suggest those so those are the things we have common ground on. Now mm-hmm. to try to, you know, a reconciliation move, I think that it's important for people to own up the transgressions they have done to the other side, right? Mm. It's important to own up to that. So even, even if Liz, you didn't, you, you know, you didn't, you said something to Sally and you're talking to Sue, you can apologize because you did something to her because it was because she had views just like Sue does, right? So Mm -hmm. the point is, is that starting out with, I have been part of the polarization problem. Like you go from, Mm -hmm. what was a great election? Man, oh man, that was fantastic. It went off without a hitch. Was that fantastic? Man, this polarization, got to deal with it. I'm going to start here by apologizing Mm
0: -hmm. because
2: I, you know, treated somebody who looks like, who feels like you do badly. And so I didn't do it to you, but I'm going to just do that as a part of our Mm -hmm. coming together.
1: Mm -hmm. And in terms of, the workplace and wanting comfort mm-hmm. and wanting people to feel comfortable at work, especially in this polarized universe, mm-hmm. like any thoughts around bringing it to the workplace?
2: Well, I think what's critical. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is a more tense situation,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: I think what's really critical is that um, we shift everybody shifts an attitude of curiosity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right.
2: So when you, if you're going to try to have a conversation with somebody and not avoid this big, <laughs> the elephant in the room, which is our big mm-hmm. divisions, yep. mm-hmm. uh, it's important to figure out a space to be in of curiosity. Well, but there's empathy and curiosity, but curiosity is especially important because curiosity allows you, if you can go there psychologically, you can ask questions. Mm-hmm. Right. So suppose that you were a Trump supporter and you just saw this election, you're disappointed. You got to you you work out your grief, maybe with your Trump-supporting friends. But if you want to be the force of for reconciliation, you might, you know, if you have a good relationship with somebody on that side, you might say, you know, I really want to understand what was going on with all that dancing. Like y'all were really, really happy. Just like the way, I, I don't understand it, Mm-hmm. So I want to understand it, right? Now, so so or or so if you on the other side, you might say, "I want to understand." Well, you, you're probably really happy when somebody got elected. Tell me what that happiness was about. I'm just I'm just saying that part of what mm-hmm. you want to do is to get yourself in a space where you can be curious and then ask questions mm-hmm. that potentially satisfy some of that curiosity, not avoid the topic, mm-hmm. but also potentially and you got to you got to have a cooperator on this not to put yourself in a position where you have an argument about things but you're having people talk about a, their personal experience because that that's what I talked about in when I talked about the method earlier ultimately you want to have experience based conversations yeah, and so cool. what i'm suggesting is that i mean you got to be prepared to do it though you got to be prepared to do it and be so committed to not being a force for division that if they start to go negative you don't have. You won't go negative with them. You'll just mm-hmm. say, "Okay, I think we should probably talk about some other point." Right. So that. Mm-hmm. So. But. So. So. Yeah. So. I guess I am suggesting that if you can get yourself in the right mind mm-hmm. of curiosity and ask about experiences mm-hmm. where you're not. You're not trying to respond. You're not trying to correct. You're not trying to educate them. But you're trying to learn.
0: Understand. And yeah. I think
2: that I think that the, I think the workplace can handle that, but you got to be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. Well, what do y'all think? I mean, y'all are HR-ish managers, aren't you all are like hr ish managers <laughs> of not you So, what do you you think of what I'm saying?
1: I think that, well, I mean, I think that nobody should have been decorating their cubicles, not that anyone's working in their cubicles right now.
2: But, you know,
1: election (laughs) stuff, you keep that out of the workplace. But I also think that when you know somebody was on an opposing side or has a different viewpoint, I, I like the idea of finding the common ground or saying something like, what are you looking forward to? Or... I think in the workplace with a work relationship, you can agree to disagree and keep it out because mm-hmm. probably politics doesn't come into your job per se.
2: So, so yes, you're so you're what you read, what you reminded me of is the other thing I meant to say, which was, I just gave you a backward looking question. Mm-hmm. But I meant to also, add was a forward-looking question is yeah. remember. So I remember I, I talked about happiness about the election participation, happiness about it going smoothly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, then lament about the polarization. So in addition to in, in addition to or instead of looking backwards, you could also look forwards. What do you think we need to do uh-huh. in order to heal this polarization problem? Uh-huh. Right? So that's a so that's a forward-looking question. So I think I think that is also safe. You still got to be in a position to listen to it because mm-hmm. if you're trying to Like, grind your ax of your opinion. That's not what you want to do. That's not appropriate for the workplace. You want to work with this person. You want to maintain your relationship with this person. But if you're talking about common goals, which is, that's what I'm, that's I'm so Mm -hmm. glad you said what you said, then I think that the, uh, talking about common goals is a connecting thing. Yes. That's another strategy. Now, people can always just avoid talking about it, but ultimately I think that that's safer, but that doesn't foster
0: healing. It's a big elephant.
1: It is. But I think you can also use it to your advantage to say, hey, we need people with all kinds of different viewpoints on this team. And so you may have a more conservative viewpoint than I do. But having both of us on this team makes it us come from different Mm -hmm. viewpoints and a richer team. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to respect what you say. I may not agree with everything, but I'm going to respect it as another voice in the room. Mine mm-hmm. isn't the only one that's necessarily correct. Right. And so to call it out that we we're coming from different viewpoints, but what we have in common is this project. Right. Let's focus on said project versus focusing on the fact that I hate who you voted for. And I think that you must be evil because of it or whatever. Like I'm going to take that out and say, I've seen you do great stuff. I know you bring a lot of expertise and we've got this to mm-hmm. get done. So let's all put our our collective brains together to do it.
2: The plane's going to fly. It needs left wing and a right wing.
0: That's Bingo.
1: right. Go. That's right. Well, I'm using that.
2: <laughs> Feel free.
0: Thank <laughs> I, you. I really like how you brought gratitude at the beginning of the conversation because I think that that's one of those it's like compassion it's one of those ways that we can open our heart and I think that the conversations the dialogue needs to happen and I think that the reminder to stay curious and not to be you know to to be asking questions as opposed to be throwing your opinion into the conversation is just so much more of a constructive uh, way to approach that you know any any situation any any kind of potentially volatile conversation, mm-hmm. staying focused on experiences and staying focused on being curious and staying calm. That's All right. All that just you want, brilliant. You want to
2: move the conversation away from beliefs and have it be on experiences, which is what I said, or mm-hmm. hopes, which is the other thing I said, right? But mm-hmm. conversations about beliefs, that tends to, that often goes awry.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, David, I think we could just talk to you all day. We really, really enjoyed having you come on and, and talk with us. you are not going to <laughs> do a Zoom
2: sleepover? We could.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm in my PJs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thank you
0: so much for coming and talking with us. And I know that our listeners are really going to have some food for thought from today's show.
2: Well, I appreciate that. I mean, uh, and if, if people are interested in following up on my race work, I, I'm doing a course that's a nationwide audience called Doing My Part as Anti-Racism Ally. It uh, starts on January the 7th. It goes for four sessions. And we have a, we're a, it's on a learning platform. And people, people really get out a, a lot out of these courses. And uh, I've been told so many times that, um, uh, yes, we, we learned how to talk about racial issues. But this helped me with in my marriage because we're teaching <laughs> best practice communication tools. Yes. So people can go to thedialoguecompany.com to learn more about it.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler.
0: Our website with all Real Job Talk
1: related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at realjobtalk,
1: Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at realjobtalkshow. Talk Show. My
0: name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at DailyCat. And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer.
1: And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beaks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson.
0: Real Job Talk is a tech reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer, our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson, and we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you.